0: asking the spirit to help us to not just know, but to see and believe and feel these truths that are real. So let's pray and we'll go upstairs and talk about the spirit as our, our helper and counselor. Father, thank you so much that you have given us um, a helper that will lead us to truth. um, And that we trust can help us to discern spiritual things that we don't approach even the Bible in our own strength and with our own uh, confidence in our knowledge, but reliant on you to open our eyes, to remove that veil so we can see and feel the the glory of God in the face of Christ. Uh, We ask that especially for the kids as they learn all these truths. We pray that you would use these truths to eventually turn that light on so that um, all of us who were once spiritually blind can uh, rejoice. We can see your truth and your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to sing one more song uh, before we um, get to hear Pastor Ben's preaching. Uh, and that's a song hopefully you guys are all familiar with in uh, the Christmas hymnody, and that's O Holy Night. And we all know the climax of each verse is the O Night, O Night Divine. We're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to save that for the end. Um, so I invite you guys to stand as we sing a Christmas classic, O Holy Night. guys so much for worshiping.
1: Well, thank you, worship team. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, that will be our passage of Scripture for this morning. And and I feel like I need to begin... um, saying something extremely controversial this morning, and I guess it's a bit of a confession to be, be honest, and that is my family, we set up our Christmas tree the day before Thanksgiving this year, and to some people that is an absolute travesty, and I'm so sorry. I hope I've not turned you off already in the message, and I hope that you'll continue to listen, but of course, this got us all in a very festive mood around our house, and And Thanksgiving was just exciting. The Christmas tree was up. But something happened in the mind of my three-year-old. And he thought that we were going to have presents on Thanksgiving morning. And so we came to Thanksgiving morning. He woke up. He came downstairs looking under the tree. And there were no presents to be had. And the the disappointment was extremely Tangible. However, this proved to be a valuable teaching opportunity for my boys on the reality of waiting with anticipation. I was preparing them for the long wait until they opened presents on t- December 25th. But this this vignette impacted me as I considered how God's people. Are waiting. I was even a bit convicted as I saw my child's difficulty waiting for presents under a tree and how my anticipation for Christ's glorious return, His second coming, seems to be so muted. Even as I rejoice in celebrating Christ's first coming, I seem to lose my enthusiasm for Christ's second coming. In the broader Christian community, the theme and emphasis of Advent has become a growing emphasis. You might hear of an Advent calendar, or you hear of Advent reading plans. And the word Advent, it simply means the arrival of a notable person. And of course, this phrase in this word is appropriate to recognize Christ, the notable person being born in a manger and coming to be our Savior. In modern day, the Christian church, there is an emphasis on the four Sundays preceding Christmas. And in our modern day expression of Advent, most of the emphasis centers around Christ's birth, centering around Christ's first coming. But going back to the first time this phrase Advent was used and the really a, a written record was in the fourth century. And the first two weeks typically of Advent focused on restraining the heart, confessing sin, dedicating dedicating time to hope, and praying for Christ's quick return. That was the first two Sundays of Advent. And then the second two Sundays of the four Sundays of Advent would then be focused on Christ's first coming, reminding ourselves that Christ came as a human and was born. And so, for some reason, in our Christian culture, we have seemed to have stopped emphasizing Christ's second coming And if I may give a critique of our culture, this is most regrettable. Rather, Christmas should build our anticipation for Christ's second coming. Just as a child anticipates the opening of presents on Christmas morning or an expectant mother is is waiting with anticipation for the coming of her baby, the Christmas season should build our anticipation for Christ's second coming. He came once, and he'll come again. So this morning, our focus will be on Christ's second coming. And if you have your Bibles, you've turned to Titus chapter 2, and I'll be reading verse 11 to 14 to begin to set the context of a very short phrase that we'll look at this morning. And the verses say this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And the focus this morning is waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And from this verse, we're going to look at three points, and I want to give them to you beforehand so you can follow along as we're going through the, the, the sermon this morning, and it's this. Number one, God's people are awaiting people. Number two, God's people are waiting for a blessed hope. And number three, this hope we wait for is personal. And so let's begin with God's people are awaiting people. In Titus chapter 2, verse 12, there's this phrase, living to, uh, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age that that uh, those those words that come after to live are giving the the definition of how we are supposed to live but this continues going on in verse 13 and it begins with this word waiting and so christians we are supposed to live with perpetual waiting for something we are people who should be defined by waiting on the Lord. Think about this through biblical history. Think of Noah. He built an ark over, uh, um, over 120 years and waited for God to judge the people and the flood, the earth. Or think of Abraham and Sarah and how they waited 25 years to have a baby after the promise that God would make out of him a nation more numerous than the sands of the sea, more numerous than the stars in the sky. Consider how the children of Israel, after they disobeyed uh, God by, by not trusting him and going into the land, they waited 40 more years and they wandered in the wilderness. Or how about Naomi in the book of Ruth when she had to wait to see if her line would continue after the death of her husband and two sons. Or consider Hannah, how she had to endure years of barrenness and waited for the Lord to open up her womb and gave her son called Samuel. Or think about David and how he was anointed king in 1 Samuel 16 and for years he waited and then he ran for his life from Saul until he was made king at the age of 30. Or maybe even consider from our passage that we read this morning from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, and how the people of Israel are in bondage and they're crying out to God and saying, Please deliver us. And the response that the prophet Jeremiah gives back to the Israelites is this wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then we come into the New Testament. And then we come to the birth of Christ in Luke 2, and you see the enthusiasm of the perceived uh, reality that the wait is over. You actually see this word wait come up two times in the book uh, of chapter 2. After the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, uh, they go to the temple for purification. And Simeon, it's two different stories... Simeon And then the prophetess Anna knew God's people no longer needed to wait for the Messiah. And and Anna actually says, the waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem is over. And then even Joseph of Arimathea, after Christ was crucified on the cross, who took the body and put him in Jesus in his own tomb... He was described as a man as being looking for the kingdom of God. That word looking has the very same idea. It's the same word of waiting with anticipation for the kingdom of God. I point this all out to say that God's people have always been a people who have had to wait. But this is... Maybe this is similar to your story. You know, you see in the overarching meta-narrative of the Bible, you say, wow, there's this story of waiting that just perfades, this theme of waiting that perfades. Uh, but, But you actually find that in your own reality, your own life, you are waiting too. Maybe it might be that you're waiting for better health. You're waiting for marriage. You're waiting for financial stability. You're waiting for a relationship to be restored. You're waiting for post, uh, personal, emotional uh, healing. Maybe after uh, an event that has very, very traumatic and scary to you. Maybe you recognize this morning that our church is waiting and how, has realities of which we're waiting. There's a myriad of pressures in our life that call us to Wait. You know, sometimes life can feel like this massive scene of being at the DMV. <laughs> you, 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 you're waiting in line. You get to the front of the line. And then you need to go back to the beginning because you forgot some paperwork. You're like, will I ever stop waiting? But let me ask you this. Why does God choose to have his people wait? Why does God have, ha- choose to have you wait? Well, there's, there's really two reasons. Waiting is so hard. And it would, in my mind, it would seem so much easier if God would just quickly work and get us on with his plan and my plan and everything would be good. But waiting reveals two things. First of all, it reveals that God is the one at work and no one else can receive the credit for what he does. God is the one at work. And actually, when God works, no one else can say, man, I did that. Yeah, I did that. No, actually, it's God that can receive only the credit. But second, it reveals the heart of God's people and who we are really trusting in. And the reality that we're being called to wait, you're being called to wait, is a a reality that our hearts are being revealed and who we are truly trusting in. And so the ability to wait reflects our soul's heavenly direction and sense for something greater to come. We would not wait if we did not believe something is greater that's coming. Only the satiated soul doesn't wait. Only the satisfied soul doesn't wait. But this morning, there's something within you that says, wait, because there's something greater coming. Well, not only have we seen that God's people are waiting, and we see this from our verse in verse 13, calling us to wait, but what are we waiting for? Well, God's people are waiting for a blessed hope. It is a blessed hope. the, as human beings living in the 20, 20th century, we live between the two appearances of Christ. The first appearance of Christ is described in verse 11 as the grace of God has appeared. This first appearance we could call this morning the grace of God. This was how God came to earth. uh, excuse me, sent Jesus to earth. He was a gift so mankind could be saved from their sins. He came to call men to repentance, to seek and to save that which were lost. And the divine mission led Jesus to Gethsemane and then to Calvary to die on the cross for you and I. The timing of this first appearance is at random. In fact, in Galatians 4, 4, it says that when the right time came, or in the ESV, it says when the fullness of time came, that just means at the exact right moment, Jesus came. God sent Jesus, and the timing wasn't determined by God throwing this dart on the, the, the timeline of history And let it stick, actually God the Father had a specific moment for grace to enter the scene and there was a divine purpose and it had divine intentionality. But there's also this second appearing. And then in verse 13, the second appearing says the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We could call this an appearance of glory. We had the, the, the first appearance is the appearance of God's grace, and the second appearance is the appearance of God's glory. And this glorious return will be that he will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. And Jesus will not come back swaddled in a manger, needing to be having cared by his mother. Rather, Jesus will come back as a commander, calling all those who put their faith in the righteousness of Christ. As Charles Spurgeon said, behind us is our trust, before us is our hope. Behind us is the Son of God in humiliation. Before us is the great God, our Savior, in his glory. The first is the manifestation of the Son of God in human flesh, weakness. The second is the manifestation of the same God in all his power and glory. We live between the two appearances, and the future appearance of Christ is our Blessed hope. But let me ask you this. Is this blessed hope just a biblical version of optimism? Is it just sanctified optimism? No. Hope and optimism are different. To be an optimist, maybe some of you would say, I'm not an optimist, so this doesn't apply. Just listen with me. To be an optimist you're talking about a person who observes circumstances and based on their observations, they judge that something will improve or turn out better. So if I had a, uh, a glass of eggnog up here and it was half full, some of you would say that's a half glass full, that's half glass empty, did I say that right? Go. No. Yes, Yes, I did. Half Half glass empty. empty. And that That would say, oh, that's a personality personality trait. We're determining determining how your perspective perspective is on life. But but that that is based on an observation. It's It's based based on reality and how you're you're perceiving perceiving that reality. reality. So, So for for example, example, if if I'm optimistic the weather is going to improve and and clear up, it's because I I see the blue skies on the horizon. horizon. Or maybe I would say something like, uh, I'm optimistic my team will win because we're having a lot of shots on goal. Or maybe there's a reason why no one is optimistic about the Carolina Panthers, and that's because there's no reason to be optimistic about them because they're 1-12, and, and if you don't know anything about football, that's a really bad record. And so there's no reason to be optimistic about the Panthers. It's, it's actually very rational. Optimistic is very rational. It's... Uh, it's in reality, though, it's it's secular. You can actually be an optimistic person without having any view of God. It's a secular view of a reality. But hope is actually different. Because hope looks at a circumstance and says, Wow, things do not look good. Boy, things don't look good, but there is something outside of these circumstances which causes me to believe that all will be righted in the end. I mean, I don't think I have to remind you. Our society, things do not look good. If you were born in the 20th century, you were born in the bloodiest century of all of humanity. That is a despicable reality. It It is a hopeless reality in and of itself. And And so so what actually should give me hope for for the future? It must be something outside outside of myself. myself. And And this this is where, as a Christian, Christian, we we put our hope hope solely in Jesus Christ. This blessed hope is not found in some some circumstantial reality of my life. It's, it's not found in the moral compass of society. The, 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 the blessed hope is not found in the circumstances, the sphere of, of which I can control. The blessed, blessed hope is found, is found solely in, in Christ, Christ alone and trusting in him alone. And this and is why Job could say in verse thir- uh, chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Think about that for a moment. Even though God may slay me, I will hope in Him. Now, let me ask you a question. If if the appearing of the grace of God came at the appointed time, the exact right time, can we be assured that the glory of God, the second coming of Christ, will come at the appointed time, at the exact right moment? Yeah, we can. Christ will, turn, Christ will return not too early, and Christ will return not too late. In, in fact, Peter, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, 3 that even though those Christians that, were, that Peter was writing to experienced immense evil under the government ruled by Nero, the reason for the Lord's return is delayed is that so more people can turn to faith in Christ. It truly is the demonstration of what you see in Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7 a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. God is waiting so more people will know him and the goodness of his name and that he will have more worshipers around the throne of God. This is why it says in John chapter 4, Christ said the fields are white unto harvest. It's because the Lord is actually desiring more worshipers for his name. So because we live between the two appearances of Christ, the reality of Christmas should actually build our belief, build our hope, build our anticipation that Jesus is coming back, which then allows us through the power of the Spirit to wait with courage and confidence.
0: Now we've looked at these two
1: points. God's people are waiting people, and God's people are waiting for a blessed hope. But number three, this hope, Hope we, we wait, wait for is personal. What, well, is, what does this text say in, in 2 Timothy, uh, 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 Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 13? 13. It, it says, says, waiting for our blessed hope. This is a blessed hope that's personal. This is a blessed hope that's intimately ours. You know, so often in waiting, you feel alone waiting has a has a, has a sense, sense that, that you're being excluded, excluded from something it it, it, it makes, makes you feel like that you've missed out on something, something. It, it, if, if, if 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 waiting if was, to was to have a voice, voice it, would it would say, say that you've, you've missed the boat, the boat. You've, you've not um you've, you've not made it. made it you're missing, you're missing out it. and you're all alone but this is what is so beautiful about the reality of Christmas. Because the children of Israel were waiting, awaiting. They were looking, they were waiting for the Messiah, and who had the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the waiting that you're doing your life is actually done with Jesus. And if you're waiting with Jesus, you're not missing the boat. Because Because he's he's never never too late, and he's he's never never too early. And if he brought into the fullness of time his son into this world, he will perfectly work for his glory and your good at the exact right moment. God is working in your life. And maybe you feel like you're waiting. But if you're waiting with Christ, you are right i so, so this morning, morning, we've looked at this, this passage, passage from, from Titus 2.13 and these three realities. God's, God's people, people are waiting people. God's people, people are waiting, waiting for a blessed hope. hope. And, the and the hope, hope that we're, we're waiting, waiting for is personal. is personal. Now, it's easy to talk about this in concepts. Concept. But, but what does, does it, it look, look like in real life? life? I mean, and what does this does look, look like, like if someone is really waiting for the blessed hope of Christ in their their circumstances circumstances are so dire. What does this this look look like? And maybe we we could even label this, this, what I'm about to share, share as an extreme extreme example. example. But I I think think the the concept will be helpful. Let me give you an illustration by reading a letter from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote to his fiance, Maria van Wedemeyer. And at, and at this, this time, time, he, he was writing, writing from prison, and the letter that he was writing was sent on December 1st, 1943. In case you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, he was a dissenter of the Third Reich, and was imprisoned for his courageous actions. But before Hitler surrendered to the Allied forces, he was executed in prison at the age of 39. And so, so this, this was, was a letter, letter that he wrote to his fiance, his fiance of whom he would, he would never hold again. This is what he wrote. What he wrote. Not, Not everyone, everyone can wait. Neither can the satiated, nor wait. the satisfied, nor those, those without respect can wait. The, the only, only ones who can wait are people who carry restlessness around with them. And people who look up with reverence to the greatest in the world. Thus, Advent can be celebrated only by those whose souls give them no peace, who know that they are poor and incomplete, and who sense something of the greatness that is supposed to come, before which they can only bow in humble timidity, waiting until he inclines himself towards us, the Holy One Himself, God in the Child in the manger. God is coming. The Lord Jesus is coming. Christmas is coming. Rejoice, O Christendom. So he kind of gives this explanation and says, "The reason that we can't wait is because our heart. We can wait because our hearts are restless, and, and we're waiting for the God of all the universe." And then he goes on to give these very personal, not disconnected thoughts. They're They're very connected. connected. He He says says this, writing this from prison, I think we're going to have an exceptionally good Christmas. Christmas. The The very very fact fact that every outward circumstance precludes precludes our our making provision provision for for it will show whether whether we can be be content with what what is truly essential. essential. I used to be very fond of thinking up and buying presents. presents. But now that we we have nothing to give, The gift of God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem all the more glorious. The emptier our hands, the better we understand what Luther meant by his dying words. We're beggars, it's true. The poorer our quarters, the more clearly we perceive that our hearts should be Christ's home on earth. Now, could I encourage you this Christmas, as you consider Christmas and all the festivities and all that we can fill our hearts with and all the joyous realities, and those are good, God-given gifts, but there is a glorious gift, and how that Jesus came And he actually is in your heart. If you are a believer, your heart is his home on earth. And so we wait. We wait for the second coming of Christ. May this Christmas, may your anticipation of Christ's second coming build. May you pray and, and desire for the Lord to come so that you might see his sweet face. So that your faith might be made So that your hope will be realized. I'm going to ask the team in just a moment as I pray. I think it's fitting for us to sing the song, O come, O come, Emmanuel. As we cry for the Lord to come and save us, from this world. Let's pray pray together. together. Our Father, I thank thank you for Jesus. Jesus. Thank you that he came and because he came, we can can be assured that that he will will come again. again. Lord, I I pray pray that those those who may may find themselves waiting in some some circumstance, may they not not see this disconnected from from the reality reality that we're waiting for our blessed hope. hope. Lord, I do do ask that we might See, that we truly are poor people, poor in spirit, as Jesus says in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. But Lord, I pray that we might clearly perceive this Christmas that our hearts are Christ's home on earth. And may that give us a joyous reality as we wait this Christmas. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.
0: All right, I'm going to invite everyone to stand. Um, As we sing that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, What a great song, singing of Christ's return.